Good morning, Foothill Church. Um, I'm Maria San Nicholas, and I'm a covenant partner, and I serve as a growth group leader. Um, today's scriptures are found in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, and 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Please stand for the re reading of God's word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And now 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, today, we are going to continue our series on the spiritual disciplines. And we're going to talk about, really, the, the spiritual discipline of stewarding our, our money. And I want, to, I want to make sure you understand something here when we talk about this. Um, we really can't have a series on the spiritual disciplines without talking about money. Money may be uh, one of the most practical things of all of your lives. Many of you have made massive life decisions based on money. So much of your week revolves around the time you spend earning money. Right? And so, so if we were to leave this out, uh, we would certainly be going against the Bible. The Bible has lots and lots to say about our money. Uh, you've maybe heard it said that Jesus speaks more about money than he, he speaks about heaven or hell combined. Uh, it is a massive, massive topic in Scripture because of what it can do to our hearts. But we can't talk about this training in godliness, right? Just like we can't talk about uh, training godliness without talking about money, we, we can't talk about money from a distinctly Christian standpoint without talking about the gospel. I need you to understand as we go into this this morning that, that the stewardship of your money and, and most specifically your generosity has everything to do with the gospel. There are loads and loads of generous people in this world. Like we know billionaires that give away billions of dollars. We think of them as generous. And that's all well and good. There's wonderful projects. There's all kinds of things that people can be generous toward. What I want to talk about is the heart that's behind that. What is it that makes our generosity as Christians distinctively Christian? And I want to propose to you it's the gospel. It's this thing that we say we believe. And we throw this, this term around a lot. And I want to make sure that you don't get lost in that. And so, so I want to I I show you something this morning. I want to talk to you first and foremost about the gospel. And part of what I want to do here is just show you what the Bible says about itself. If, you know, we could all summarize the gospel or some of us could summarize the gospel in succinct phrases, but I want you to hear God's word. I want you to hear what the gospel is straight from the words of scripture, how it is that we can form and our understanding of the, of the breadth and depth of the gospel by looking looking at the words of Scripture itself. And so hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created mankind 
in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created us. And what can be known about God is plain to us because God has revealed it to us. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth, its handiwork, day to day pours forth speech. Night to night gives knowledge. And so, so, although we know God, we do not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But we have become futile in our thinking, and our foolish hearts are dark, and claiming to be wise, we have become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. We've committed two evils. We've forsaken the fountain of living water and have dug for ourselves wells, broken wells that cannot hold water. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one to his own way. We we do what's wise in our own eyes. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. No one understands. All have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. We are without hope and without God in this world. We, we fade like a leaf and like our sins blown like the wind. We, we, we've all become like those who are unclean and our best attempts at righteousness are filthy rags. By works of the law, no human being will be justified since through the law only comes knowledge of sin and so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because of our stubborn and unrepentant hearts. We are storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But God being rich in mercy, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Even when we were failing, he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being who upholds the word by the, by the, the universe, by the word of his power. He, he is... He is the holy and righteous one. He, he, he is the author of life. He is the Lord of glory. He is the first and last. He is the beginning and the end. He is God with us. He, he is the word become flesh. And he was crushed for our rebellion. He was bruised for our sins. Because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God canceled the record of death that stood against us 
with its legal requirements, this he set aside by nailing them to the cross. And God made him who, who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, just as the scripture said. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now the righteousness of God has been revealed. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His faith, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now these things have been spoken, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we believe. And it has everything to do. When you believe that gospel, it will shape every part about you. Right? It will shape the way you spend your time. It will shape what you do. It will shape who you marry. It will shape how you spend your money. Every part of us. In fact, this may be the most tangible manifestation of any of the training we talk about, of whether the training is actually working in your life, is it will actually shape your generosity. And so what I want to do is I just want to take the rest of our time this morning and I want to show you five principles. Now, there's dozens of principles about our giving and about our money and all kinds of things in Scripture. I just want to show you five this morning that sort of emerge out of this idea that we are people, if we are, that we are people who have believed the gospel. We believe what it says about God. We believe what it says about Christ. We believe what it says about us. And I want to show you five things and how that manifests itself in our giving, okay? So the first thing is simply this, that God owns everything, you own nothing. Okay, th this, this is foundational to everything I'm going to say this morning, and this is foundational to Scripture, that God owns everything, everything in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God created man and woman. Men and women, he created them in his image. In the image of God, he created us. We own nothing. God owns it all. And this is how the scriptures are going to talk. Psalm, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. Exodus chapter 19, all the earth is mine, says the Lord. Right? So it's not your house, and it's not your business, and it's, it's not your car, and it's not your toy hauler, and it's not your video game, and it's not your console. It's none of those things. It all belongs to God. That is a distinctively Christian way of starting. We own nothing. In fact, we don't even own our money. Haggai chapter 2 
Verse 8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Your 401k is not yours. Your savings account is not yours. Your paycheck is not yours. Your salary is not yours. The money in your bank, it's not yours. It all belongs to God. So Christian, here's the thing. Here's what makes us distinctively Christian. We don't start from the presumption and say something as ridiculous as this. How much of my money must I give to God? We start at a completely different place. We say, how much of his money would he have me keep to live on? It's not mine. It's his. I own nothing. He owns it all. That's the first thing. Utterly foundational to what we talk about. Second of all, generosity is the fruit of God's grace. I want you to grab your Bible or open your Bible app on your phone. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter. Now, I've preached whole sermons on this, and if you want to go back, you can find those. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to give you some sort of big high points in this. But I want you to see this. Generosity is the fruit of God's grace in your life, right? That's the root. It's generosity. It, it produces that fruit. And Paul's going to say this, hammer this home in all kinds of ways. Let me just show you one. Look at, look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Do you see what Paul does there? For, I mean, he said, look, look, this is crazy. How does this happen? How is it that when you're in severe affliction and, and there is extreme poverty, does it overflow in a wealth of generosity? The answer, the grace of God. Because the grace of God is the only thing that will sever the root of selfishness in your life. You know it's possible for you to be generous and utterly selfish. Motives matter. And God is saying, man, I want the motive to come from here, the grace of God, enabling you, helping you to be generous with what he's provided for you. Um, that's distinctively Christian. That's us looking and saying, okay, this all comes from, right? Who's to credit? Right? In some ways, if I give and you're like, wow, or somebody gives, think that's a lot of money. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, right? Really doesn't matter the amount. What matters is like, where did it come from? And as Christians, we'd look and say, man, the impulse that drove me there is the grace of God. Number three, generosity is voluntary and sacrificial. Okay, keep going. We're in 2 Corinthians 8. Look at verse 3. For they gave, talking about the Macedonians, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first, Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now look, here's what I want you to see. They beg Paul. Please, please, we're in, a severe, we're in a severe affliction, extreme poverty, and yet we are begging you, asking, please do this. Paul didn't twist their arm. It wasn't a televangelist on TV telling them they gave and sent them an anointing rag that would heal them. It was simply give, and, 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 and the people said, I want to give. I'm, I'm begging you to give. Somebody said that the grace of God will make a beggar out of you. You will beg to give. It's, it's, it's voluntary, and it's sacrificial. They gave beyond their means. This is unbelievable. Now look, uh, lest 
we get it wrong, severe affliction and, and extreme poverty is, is probably, I'm not saying nobody, but, but it, it would be a surprise to find out that's anybody in this room. Most of you are nowhere near that. Nowhere near that. We are like the Corinthians. We are overall a very comfortable, wealthy people by world standards. That's just who we are. And they gave beyond their means. It is voluntary. It's sacrificial. Listen to Don Whitney from his book on the spiritualism. He says, God doesn't want to give you, wants you to give with a grudge. That is, you give, but you'd rather not. He takes no pleasure in gifts presented resentfully, regardless of the amount involved. God is not a celestial landlord tapping a greedy, outstretched palm, demanding his due, having no concern for how you feel about it. God doesn't want you to give to him out of a reluctant acquiescence to the reality that he owns it all anyway. He wants you to give because you want to. God wants you to enjoy giving, cheerful giver. Some people like to give to God like they give to the IRS. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Others give to God like they pay a utility bill. But a few people give to God like they're, they're, they give wrapped surprises to their four-year-old on Christmas morning. Some give because they know they can't keep it. Others give because they believe they owe it. And a happy few give because they say they can't help it. And I would contend that that happy few are people who know the gospel the best. It has utterly transformed their lives. That's number three. It is voluntary and sacrificial. Number four your generosity should be proportional to your wealth. Okay, look at, look at verse 3 again. You're going to see this all over again. Look, it says, for they gave according to their means. Skip down to verse 13. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. Now, Paul's not advocating some, for some sort of Christian socialism. He's saying, look, you give because God's been good to you. You give, like that. you give out of proportion. Now, I want to say something about proportion real quick. Neither Paul nor Christ ever teach that you should give a certain percentage of your income. Now, you've heard of the tithe, and a tithe means tenth, and you're going to find that in the Old Testament. And by the way, here's what I'd say. As New Testament Christians, we're not under that. Uh, but I, I think it's something that a lot of us should be shooting for, if not having it as the minimum. I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but, but look, I, I, I think we just read in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And then Paul says, uh, each one should give as he, she has decided in their heart to give. Not, not a percentage. So, so maybe, you know, you've heard pastors or somebody teach, you should give 10%. Look, I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches. For some of you, 10% would be literally impossible. Like you're living on a fixed income. You're, you're a single parent trying to raise your children, whatever. Like there's, there, there are circumstances under which I can conceive that that, that, would, be, that would be true of, of some of you in this room. I, I literally can't, okay? But others of you, like 10% would not even touch your lifestyle. See, here's the point. It's not that we all give a certain amount or give an equal percentage. It's that we all sacrifice. 
That's the idea. It's this, it's this you know, proportionality, sacrificing, because look, God has given to me. That's the rule. You give to the extent that God has given to you. Listen, <laughs> do you look at your life ever and go, man, I'm so comfortable? Praise God for that. Do you ever give in such a way that you, you can't do certain things? Or do you get to do everything you want to do? Let, let me let C.S. Lewis say this way better than I could. He said this, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our tithes and offerings do not, at all, do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our giving excludes them. We are not keep up with the Joneses people. We don't think that way. We say the Joneses can do that. I've been called to something different. And I sacrifice for that. Your giving should be proportional. And lastly, generosity should be planned and it should be systematic. Now, I've got you in 1 Corinthians. Go, go back to, or 2 Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Just a few pages back. Just right at verse 1. Now, Paul, again, he's talking to this wealthy church called Corinth, right? They, they, they've got it all. And he's wanting to take up a collection for the, the poorer saints. And he says, now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to collect an offering for these other uh, hurting saints. That's the idea. And I told this church, and I told that church, and I tell this church. Here's what he's saying. I want you to notice a few things. On the first day of the week, in other words, make it systematic. Don't spend everything you have, every pay period, however your pay works out, right? Set some aside. Kids, you should do this. Mom and dad, you give them allowances. First of all, here's my advice. Make them work for it, and when you do, make them tithe on it. Make them give Start them now, right? See, Paul, but here's what Paul's saying. Let it be planned. Like I'm telling you now, I'm not going to come and try to collect a big offering on that day. By the way, the offering buckets have passed. We're not doing this right now, right? So don't worry. Everybody relax, right? So, but he says, he says, make it plan and make it systematic. Like every single week. It's the only way he understands he's going to be able to do what God's called him to do. So, so, so we, we take and every time, right? I'll say it in a moment, but, but Michelle and I have lived by basically a very simple uh, way of thinking of our money. We give, we save, we live on the rest. We give, we save, we live on the rest. In that order. In that order. The first thing we do is give. If God has given us increase, we save and we live on the rest, Okay? It should be planned. It should be systematic on the first day of the week. Then he says, each of you. In other words, every Christian. There's no exception. You, you, you know, some of you go, well, I give my time. 
I serve, whatever. That's how, well, no, everybody, Paul says, plays a part in financially supporting the work of the kingdom. You see that? Each one of you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16. Not, oh, this group, you're accepted. No. Everybody plays a part in supporting the work of the kingdom. And then he says, as ye may prosper. Like, I'm not picking their pockets. He's not twisting their arm. He's saying, here it is. This is proportionality. We, the more we make, the more we give. Look it. You, you should be looking at all the increase that God brings into your life, right? I've got a salary and I've got, you know what? Some of you, I just got a tax return or I got a bonus, whatever it is. Somebody, somebody gave me a gift of cash. Uh, listen, you should, be, you should be giving out of everything. It's just the way you do this. Now, now look, I think God is pleased with this. I think God is pleased with people who don't just think it's got to be spontaneous, right? We sort of think that's the better worship. Listen, the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life are spontaneous sermons. You would not like me if I were simply, I don't know what I'm preaching today. I'm going to get up on stage. Here I go. You like the fact that people that stand up here have been thoughtful and planned and systematic. We should be planned. I think God, God loves the fact that we would sit down with our budget and go, Lord, here's what we've decided in our hearts to do, and now it's going to be system. I'm not going to wait till the end of the year to try to pile it on. Every single time some kind of increase comes into my life, it's yours. Remember, none of it belongs to me. It all belongs to God. Now, I want to make sure you hear me say this. I told you, Michelle and I give, save, live on the rest. I'm not preaching to you anything that I have not practiced. I promise you this. We set our baseline from the very first part of our marriage. We set our baseline as 10% of our gross income. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not here to argue about, I'm, I'm simply saying that was where we went. And then we said, God, if, if, it, if it's something you'll, you'll, you'll increase, then, then we want to give more. And if you'll enable us, we'll give more. Okay, last year, as a percentage of our income, we gave 14%. Again, please don't hear me saying, I'm clever or, boy, that's so generous of you. I'm saying, I'm saying this is something, this is a way that all of us should be thinking. It should not be exceptional. It should be the way that all of us, not because it's 10 or 14 or 5 or 2, it's because we all look at it and say, I'm going to be planned, I'm going to be systematic, and I'm going to give. I'm going to do something. See, listen, I don't think we can claim that we've been trained in righteousness when it has absolutely no impact on our pocketbook. Generosity is a spiritual discipline. You know why? Because if you just wait to have the spark of giving, you won't do it. Or you will do it really, really rarely. And it won't be a discipline for you. And God says, I, I, I want this to be a discipline. Listen, so let me just end with this. Will you give out of the motivation that God has been generous to you? Again, not passing the offering plates. I'm asking you, this is, this is for you to take inventory of your own heart. Am I one of those who gives because I have to? I give because it's like a bill I gotta pay? Or am I one of the happy few that can't wait? It's not mine. 
you've just put this on loan to me. And thank you for the ways you've blessed me. And you, you actually allow me. I mean, imagine this. Imagine being an investor of money and the guy comes to you and says, here's whatever amount of money. You get to keep 90%. I just want 10% back. We would all be like, I'll take that deal every day. This is what God says. It's his money. It's not yours. Start there. Start there. Right? And say, okay, Lord, help me. Help me to be generous. Here's what I want to do. I want to end with this. Steve just led us in that liturgy. But I, I want you to see, now that all we've talked about, I want you to sort of see it with fresh eyes. Right? I want you to see it, and I, I, want, I want us to proclaim this. Uh, the offering's been passed again. It's just matter. It's simply us reminding ourselves of what's this all about? What, are we, what does the Bible teach us? How does the gospel come in line with this thing called generosity? And I think this does a masterful, beautiful job of telling us what, how the Bible speaks about this. So everybody, kids, mom, dad, everyone, let's read this together. Holy Father... There is nothing we have that you have not given us. All we have and all we are belong to you, bought with the blood of Jesus. To spend selfishly and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world, but generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord. And so help us to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. Help us to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust us with true riches. Above all, help us to be generous because you, Father, are generous. May we show what you're like to all the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer. Lord, we, we, we want our, our hearts to be changed. Ultimately, this isn't even a money issue. It's a heart issue. And so, Lord, will you, will you reform our hearts? We, we, are, we are so fearful and desperate to hold on to what you've given us, God. I pray that we would hold our hands open and allow you to put in and take out what you've determined. Help us to be generous, Father, because you're generous. And you gave your only Son, and you gave us the Spirit and you will graciously give us all things. And there is coming a day when we are taken up. And Lord, we, we will have life beyond our wildest dreams. So help us to lay up treasure in heaven. Not on earth, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but in heaven where you are, safe, secure, deposited for eternity, Lord. Father, I pray for those here this morning and maybe they've heard the gospel or they heard the words of Scripture more powerful than any summary that I could ever give. And I pray, they, 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 that Lord, what, what they've heard is that they're dead in their trespasses. They're, there's no way they can make themselves right before God. But you being rich in mercy because of your great love, you sent your Son to die for us so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, may today be the day when there are people who see your generosity for what it is and, and call upon the name of the Lord, call upon Jesus, turn from their sin, forsake the, the, the building of their own wells and trying, to, trying to, to, to slake their own thirst, but God turning to the fountain of living water. That you'd forgive them their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And 
make them righteous. Justify them through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name.